Welcome to the Annie Gamers Podcast. This is episode number 131. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and with me, as always, is David Estrella. Oh, yeah. And we're back with a podcast. Look at us. We're back with a podcast, Evan. Is that what we're doing here? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Let's, I didn't sign up for uh, this. Let's podcast, Evan. I'm so excited to podcast today. I, you know, it's just, it's weird because it feels like this is the first time we're podcasting since this, the year started. <laughs> Yeah, because we this is the first time we're doing uh what we don't really have a word for it a regular show uh, a non special topic show a non guest so, you know, show non guest non special topic show so last episode you know we gave you just a full a, a double helping of Annie Gamers we talked about Fire Emblem Three Houses this time we're we're doing you know kind of our, our regular little uh, grab bag of topics so we'll be. Talking about some news, going over our queue, some, uh, I think in this case, let's see, not even quite a game, but a game-related thing and an anime that we've been checking out. And we've got a review of a game. We have a review of a, a kind of old game, Zelda, really old game. A Link Between Worlds, that David Ancient just finished. Game. Yeah, somehow just finished it this year. Uh, a little embarrassing, but you know, sometimes we Look, are a little bit not, slow. We're not... We're not trying to like only review the most topical stuff. Sometimes it's interesting to look back at some games that are not, you know, not talked about anymore. So before we get into the rest of the show, a little update on some content on the site and on the Patreon. We just published our best of the decade write-ups, our best of the 2010s. Uh, these are up now on AnnieGamers.com. We, similar to the staff picks, we covered manga, video games, and then anime, each in their own posts. But this time, instead of, you know, a set of three for each person, we actually tried to create a somewhat authoritative list of, according to Annie Gamers, the top 10 things in each category with write-ups for each. I think it was a lot of fun to put together. It was very interesting to see how you... Uh, me and ink kind of like all of our tastes combined into this final list i'm not very proud of how long <laughs> we argued over the positioning of True. certain things yeah but you know what david uh i'm one of the reasons i'm happy with it is because the ranking system that i came up with successfully managed to include a couple of your just just out of left field <laughs> picks that threw people off the picks we that had people commenting have, yeah yeah, we had people, some people commenting on like the Evangelion manga being included or like uh, Milky Holmes yes. making the top 10 anime yes. list. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Milky Holmes. See, I gotta, I gotta push Milky Holmes. I still, I still gotta push it. I gotta push it on people. Mm. So yeah, that's up on the blog. That's free for everybody. But if you are a patron and you are uh, subscribing for at least $5 a month on patreon.com slash Gamers you can access the full spreadsheet. You can just go full Annie Gamer's brain and read the full list from each of us as well as the full ranked list of all of our stuff combined for all three categories. So if you're really, really curious about, you know, David's full decade list or my full decade list or whatever, uh, you can go check that out. Uh, if you are subscribed for, yeah, $5 a month or more. And that's not the only thing we've got for patrons this month. Uh, David... This is the first episode that we've done since you launched your new bonus podcast yeah. on the Patreon. Wow. My own show. I'm still I still can't get over it. Like I look at my show and then I just I just see this creation, this utter beauty of content, just this little morsel that I've prepared for everybody. Uh, and it's only for our five dollar patrons. So 
Uh, consider consider yourselves blessed. This is the <laughs> Any Gamers Book Club, where me and uh, at sign Alive in the Wired, also known as Anarchy Inaki, or as I call him Uncle Nax, we sit down and we talk about light novels because I felt like when we constrict ourselves to anime, manga, and video games, there's kind of this gray area that light novels always exist in, and I just wanted one. You know, just like a just a space to just say this is only for light novels. Uh, so right now, our first episode, Grimgar, is up on the Patreon, of course, and I'm currently in the process of reading the next book that we're going to cover on uh, for the next episode, the second episode, which will go up on hopefully on the first Wednesday of March, whatever day that might be. Uh, I'm reading. And that's like the ongoing schedule, right? Yeah. First Wednesday of each month. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the next book's going to be Konosuba or, oh man, what's the English title for that one? God's Blessing on This Wonderful World, something, something. That's I don't know. One. It's like, yeah, yep. it's like, it's like, it's something like that. We'll probably put it up on the Anagamers Twitter, just a, a call for questions, comments, stuff to read off on the show. Cause, you know, like with, like, uh, with the AGP over here. I got to fill in with Evan's role to, you know, make sure that we are engaging <laughs> properly with How the, our... the tables have turned. It's work. Let me tell you, I edit that. Yeah, yep, I edit yep. that show. I edited it a couple uh, of times. I will say I listened to the episode and uh, I've already told you this in private, David, but for, for all the listeners, uh, it's pretty great, especially, you know, I, I don't even like read light novels I, I didn't read the the novel in question here but uh just yeah you, you guys uh you guys are pretty good at, at breaking it down you had a lot of interesting stuff to yes, say thank you beyond thank you. just the sort of like book itself right there was a lot of interesting discussion of like light novels as a concept and like how it relates to real literature right kind of yeah because yeah. i think you know if you just jumped in straight into the plot grimgar was kind of a very uh paper thin sort of book uh it wasn't a whole lot to it but we managed to find out something interesting to talk about which is just kind of the culture around this mm-hmm, sort of book mm-hmm. because there's so many of them and there's got to be a reason why we're getting so many of them so we really dived into just you know the process of how a book like grimgar happens along with hundreds and hundreds of other grimgar likes right Anyway, check that out. We're trying to make, you know, as much content as we can for the patrons. Uh, But of course, you know, for anybody who's not subscribed, we'll still be here doing our regular every two week podcasts. And with that, let's get into the news for this episode. I have one piece of news I want to talk about, and it's manga related. So uh, I remember that this manga got talked about a while back, like someone mentioned it on Twitter and I was like, oh, this looks cool. And it is now licensed. It is uh, a series called <laughs> in English. I don't think this is the Japanese title, but the, the title they came up with for the English version is what the font. I don't know how much I like that, that, uh, that pun. It's, it's called it's called what the font, a manga guide to Western typeface by uh, Kunichi Ashia and Masayuki Yamamoto and uh, Seven Seas just picked this up. It is a manga made for me. Uh, font because guy, I, Evan Minto. Font guy, design guy, Evan Minto. It's uh, about, I didn't really know a ton of the premise. I mean, I was going to like tell you what it's about, but really here's what it is. It is anthropomorphized fonts. Like the, the, I looked at what the actual premise is and whatever. It's like, you know, paper thin, some, you know, hand wavy way of, ex, uh, <laughs> way of explaining why there are anthropomorphized <laughs> fonts in the series. So there's like human versions of Helvetica and Futura and all these different fonts. So 
I mean, it could be terrible, right? But I mean, just the concept alone is uh, is enough to sell me on it because fonts are like such a great thing to anthropomorphize because they they're you always talk when you're talking about picking a, a typeface, you're always talking about like the personality that it has. Is it friendly? Oh, is it geez. playful? Right? Like like it's already kind of anthropomorphized in the way that type designers and uh, and like typesetters and stuff talk about it. So it's kind of perfect for it. It's a great idea. I mean, you're talking to somebody who was really into Kimono Friends when that was still good. Uh, yeah, until... Kimono Friends is shit, though. This is good. Yeah. This is different. <laughs> oh, no. No, this is essentially <laughs> just the Kimono Friends of fonts. Okay, fine. Kimono fonts. Kimono fonts. Hey, there we go. That's good branding. It doesn't make any yeah. sense, but I, I like <laughs> it a lot better than the title that I picked. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, I want to check this out. Maybe I'll, uh, if I actually remember to pick it up, maybe I'll talk about it on the show. Oh, I would hope I'm very so. Bad at, I'm very bad at actually buying anything that I say I'm interested in, right? I'm like, oh, this is right up my alley. And then I forget about it when it actually comes out. I, know, I, would, really, I would really hope that you decide to get up on this podcast and talk about your Kimono Fonts manga. Yeah, which font is the cutest? Which font's the cutest? We're about to find out. Yeah, like which, uh, what, what, uh, which of your favorites say you are going to voice which font in the inevitable anime adaptation? Oh, if they do an anime version. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm Who's not sure. the most Helvetica say you? Just the most like boring kind of, you know, they, they're easy to understand, but they're not very exciting to listen to. You know, they're very clear, <laughs> clean, clear spoken, right? They speak very clearly. That would be Helvetica. So that's uh, that's my only piece of news. So with that, maybe move into the queue. And David, you're going to start with oh, this. Oh, God, uh, I'm going to start. You're going to talk more about your favorite subject. I mean, I'm not even being sarcastic. This uh, is actually your favorite subject. Oh, uh, but it hurts me. I feel like I'm like I'm just like, transforming. <laughs> I'm like going full Tom Hardy Venom right now, just thinking about... <laughs> you're eating the lobster out of the, yeah. <laughs> out of the tank. <laughs> I, just, I feel like I just go so feral when I talk about Pokemon. But yeah, Pokemon Home finally came out. Back when we recorded the episode, the big Pokemon episode with Callie, uh, we talked a lot about Pokemon Home and just how much we were looking forward to it because I'm pretty sure both of us had filled all of the storage in Pokemon Sword or Shield, whichever version that we were playing. And it was kind of, it's kind of painful to just release a Pokemon because that's a, you know, there's some amount of effort gone yeah. into getting that pokemon and then the emotional you're like go on get get out of here <laughs> yeah. throwing rocks uh, at it trying to get it to uh, leave now you're making me cry and i'm like just imagining me like <laughs> pelting a charmander with a, like a, a rock it's raining you know the pokemon center is about to close down <laughs> doesn't know where to go oh, oh i'm so sad now but fortunately pokemon home is here to save the day because you can store six thousand pokemon uh, only on a premium plan. So you better cough up, what is mm. it, like sixteen ninety nine a year? Oof. It's okay. It's, uh, it's not like terrible, but I mean, it's comparable it's to, it's comparable to like uh, Nintendo Switch Online, which mm. is also just kind of, Nintendo doesn't really do online very well. So paying $20 a year for it kind of feels like, well, yeah, I guess there's no other way that I'm going to be able to play Smash with other people. But then the experience of playing Smash with other people is not great. And we actually had a whole moment just trying to play online, didn't we, Evan? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it just it kind of carries with Pokemon Home because there's a lot of decisions into it, into like the this final product that just has me scratching my head. 
Um, so what Pokemon Home is, is it's intended to be a storage service that will allow you to link your 3DS games, your Let's Go Pikachu EV games, and eventually you're going to be able to send Pokemon Go Pokemon into it. Some of these are not as universal as you would think. Some of these are you send them into the Pokemon Home service and then they are just there forever. They can't move back so you can only move them forward into compatible games, which, as you know, since Sword and Shield has a limited Pokedex, that means games that you send Pokemon from that have Pokemon that aren't compatible with Sword and Shield, you can't use them anymore until you know there's a later game that uses Pokemon Home and has that Pokemon available for you. Uh, but that's not even like the worst of it. I think the absolute worst part of Pokemon Home is that a lot of the functionality is split between a Switch app and a phone app. And both have their own issues. So you use the Switch app to send in Pokemon from the 3DS games. But if you want to actually use any of the global trade uh, functionality, you have to have the phone app installed because you can't do it from the Nintendo Switch, which makes zero sense. Because you can trade Pokemon in Pokemon Sword and Shield, but you can't do it in Pokemon Home on the Nintendo Switch, which just makes so much more sense. And it's why? really, yeah, it's like really just like, why? <laughs> I don't know if it's just they're intending on redoing like the uh, the service at any point, but what Didn't we're they getting just launch it. Yeah, I mean they just launched it, but <laughs> you know I'm imagining that they didn't really put it through a test of running it through the millions of people that bought Pokemon Sword and Shield. <laughs> so there's just I mean there's just going to be the inevitable issues that crop up because they don't have the volume of people uh that are using their service to actually you know, give some feedback and say like this sucks we hate it um so one of the features that I really wanted to use was this thing called Wonderbox which lets you store up to 10 pokemon and it kind of works like the surprise trade from Sword and Shield, where you just trade for a random Pokemon from anybody that's connected online that wants to also trade a Pokemon. I really wanted this because I was really big on breeding for Shinies, which means I've got hundreds and hundreds of the same Pokemon with really good stats that somebody else might want. And it's just fodder to trade so I can get like, you know, somebody else's failure, you know, whatever, like Pikachu or Eevee, just something that they worked on that has really good stats that I can build off of. And then they get something that I really worked hard on. The problem is that Wonderbox takes like six or seven hours to actually go through in the queue. Ooh. Yeah. It's really, it's really disappointing. Like you have to do it on your phone and you don't get a notification that says like, hey, your Pokemon got traded. Because the way that Wonderbox works is that every slot, you actually have to, you also have to do it like individually. You can't just like select like, oh, okay, I just want to store, like store all the Bulbasaurs that I've got. I have to like pick everyone one by one and you have to scroll through a huge list of all like the thousands of Pokemon that you deposited into the service. So, yeah, wow. I mean, yeah, this seems, this seems like something that would be really great but oh, yeah i mean yeah. It, in in reality it's yeah. it's very unfortunate that it's not because i can imagine i can imagine it being very convenient to be able to just pull your phone out and do pokemon trades without even having your game with you yeah. right like having it yeah. in an app that seems like a great idea if the ui was actually usable and if you could mm -hmm. do all of the functions from the phone because the way i was doing it before was doing just doing it one by one in pokemon sword 
And you can just imagine me just kind of like just sitting here pressing the, the A button for hours and just getting through like one box or two boxes worth of Pokemon, which is like 60 Pokemon. And if you've got hundreds of these things to trade, you're literally just doing this for days. Uh, so, I mean, that's really not great. Uh, and again, it's just, you know, Nintendo doesn't really know how to do online. The good thing is some of the stuff that, you know, you wanted, like additional storage space, like, yeah, that's just there. They can't screw that up. But they did screw up your transfer, your transfers that you send in from the 3DS game that have been hyper-trained, which is a feature uh, mostly for people that are kind of just insane and into the meta, where if your Pokemon has certain stats that are not perfect, you can feed it a bottle cap, which will just max it out. Fallout? Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Okay. It's just, you know, bottle cap. Bottle cap's like a very rare currency in uh, in Pokemon. <laughs> um, and it's very useful because, you know, you don't have to abandon your starter Pokemon if you're very attached to it. You can actually just reconfigure it into a very competitive meta Pokemon if you so choose to. Um, it's a lot of work. It's easier to just breed a brand new one, but, you know, some people are just attached. So that's why these bottle caps were very important. Like just, they were a really great feature to to have in the 3DS games. Unfortunately, there's a bug when you switch them, when you transfer them over into Pokemon Home, they lose all their hyper training. (laughs) So they're back to their regular crappy stats that you got when you got that Pokemon. (laughs) And I didn't even know it was a bug until it was like, (laughs) yeah, I didn't know it was a bug until like, it, it was just later announced, like after the fact that, oh yeah, that, that's a bug. Um, we're going to fix it. Uh, you got to make sure that you deposit all the broken Pokemon into Pokemon home uh, in like a certain time frame in order for that to be fixed. It's just like, it's, it, it's just like, why wasn't that picked up on sooner? <laughs> um, yeah. Right. Pokemon home's a mess. There's, there's also just a lot of hacked Pokemon getting traded around and mm, it's very, there's a lot of work to do. Damn. Yeah. Again, seems seems like a cool concept in theory, Ooh. but but trusting Nintendo to get mm. online right is Mm-mm. a fool's errand. They might change it in like a year or two, but you know that's a big might. They might just say this is good enough. Yeah, seems like the sort of thing that would have been better to be like outsourced. I don't know yeah. if I don't, maybe it was, but like I mean, I, I guess that game had a lot of trouble too. But they basically outsourced um, Pokemon Go, right? Like, yeah. Neandic? I mean, it seems yeah. like if you were making like an app for, for Pokemon Home and you were Nintendo and you knew that you were bad at online, you'd probably want to get somebody <laughs> else to handle that. <laughs> yeah. So that's Pokemon Home. I am going to talk about a show that uh, I don't think we've talked about. Not at yet. All. Yeah, weirdly, uh, just because we've, we've had all these special topic episodes. So this season I'm watching, uh, not not a ton, but I am watching... Keep your hands off Azoken. I don't like that title, but go on. Me neither. Oh, I uh, I have a couple reasons why I don't like. Well, let's see. I have one reason I don't like the title. I think the long title is not great, but that's okay. The real problem is the untranslated word Azoken. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck's is it like? Is it a proper noun? Uh it's so this. Uh, I'll get into the basic premise here. But it's basically, as I understand it, and you know, I'm sure maybe the translators have a very good reason for this, and I don't really know because I'm not a professional translator, but I'm pretty sure in this case it just means like film club, basically, like video club. Um, so you could have just said, keep your hands off the video club, <laughs> and that would have gotten the point across. 
Uh, and actually, sometimes the subtitles translate it. it. Like they actually occasionally will translate it instead of just using the word Azokan on its own. I'm not sure why. So there's no consistency either. It might be a branding thing. It's easier to brand when it has like a, you know, in, in the US when it has like a Japanese word oh, in it. Oh no. But this is one of those Netflix titles where they want like mm-hmm. people that don't watch anime watching it, right? This isn't Netflix. This is uh, Crunchyroll. Is it? I thought it was mm-hmm. a Netflix thing. Nope. Is that why it's like I'm hearing about it constantly where it's like just not fully all out there? Yeah. That's what, yeah, you're hearing about it constantly because Crunchyroll markets it shows, you know, in they do they, weekly. Well, they, well, yeah, they 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 do simulcasts and they market their shows pretty directly to like the core anime fan uh. audience, which is the people that we follow, right? So so we are exposed directly to like the fire hose of Azoken content. Thanks. I thought I thought your boy Masaki, you also like that Devil Man Netflix money. Mm, oh, that's a good point. But I, uh, I was thinking about that, and uh, Netflix probably passed on it because it's not <laughs> it doesn't really fit no. maybe what Netflix is looking for. So, speaking of what it's about, is uh, three high school girls who start an animation club, basically, right? So it's kind of not, you know, doesn't really fit that that you know Netflixy thing. Um, but it is directed by Masaki Yuasa, like you said, and uh, made by Science Saru, his studio. And Yuasa is like a big. I I don't I, it's it's hard to say like he's a big animation guy right because like anybody in the anime industry is into animation but I you know he in particular tends to hire a lot of idiosyncratic animators he's a big fan of like retro animation and specifically western animation like oh I always get the sense that he's a a bit of like an animation geek compared to some other people in the industry so makes a lot of sense that he chose to adapt this because um, it's adapted based on a manga. The basic thing, the basic story is it's these three girls, uh, two of them are artists. One of them is a, an extremely gruff asshole who everybody loves named Kanamori. Uh, it's basically the everyone's favorite character. And uh, it, they effectively just form an anime studio in their club. Uh, and it's basically this is the thing about it that I, I feel like I'm going to have a slightly more negative take on it than most people, even though it's a good show. Um it's kind of like a slice of life show or what anime fans call oh, a slice of life show. We know how much you love those. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like true slice of life, right? It's not not just daily life, but it's that it's bridging that like weird spot between comedy and drama that is not fully committed to either one where it's just sort of like people doing stuff. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's very, very lightly dramatic, but it, it never really hits a level where I would call it either a comedy or a drama. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just about them making anime, but not with a ton of tension, which is the thing that always a little bit bugs me about it is there's not a lot of like drama right around like, are they going to there's like one episode, episode three or four, where they're like, they have to finish it on a deadline and they're staying up late and like, you know, the student council is going to judge them for how well the, the they do on making the animation and the club might or might not survive based on it. And like that was one of the few points where I felt like it had like a driving dramatic plot line but otherwise it's just them kind of doing their best having fun making anime arguing a little bit making creative decisions and that's the cool part about it that i'm enjoying is that it is like getting into their heads of how they are making the creative decisions like and all the way down to all the details of you know like well, how many frames are we going to use for this how much detail are we going to put into this shot you know what are we going to do for the sound effects how are we going to sync things up it's like very technical 
So obviously that is very me, right? That appeals mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun in, in that sense uh, for, for like anyone who's an animation geek or I think anyone who's kind of like a, just in general, kind of like either an artist or someone who really appreciates the artistic and creative process, right? Or I think, you know, anybody, a creative person or a person who appreciates the creative process. I imagine like, you know, writers and just anybody else would also find this pretty appealing because it really gets into the head of like being a creative person. Uh, In particular, it's got these great sequences where there's not a word for them. I kind of call them the imagination sequences. And it's basically where two of these girls... Uh, the, the two artist girls, so like one of them is obsessed with like background art and um, concept design and things like that, right? And she's kind of like a little bit of like a military otaku and that kind of thing. And the other one is an animator. And so she's all obsessed with like motion and acting and that kind of thing. And the two of them sort of dream up scenarios uh, and they'll sort of take their real world and sort of map it, you know, they'll like, they'll be like playing make-believe almost, right? Where they'll like pretend that the world around them is something fantastical. And then the characters will sort of act it out and they'll like jump in a plane and they'll start flying around. They'll go on like an adventure in their imagination. Uh, And it's all drawn in this sketchy kind of pencil art style. The colors are half finished and all the sound effects are onomatopoeia. They're like, you know, actual voice actors doing it. So that's those sequences are great and they really are, you know, do a good job of capturing how these characters get lost in like their their vision of the world. Right. Yeah. See, I can't imagine these two characters getting along with each other because one character wants to just do tanks and then the other one wants to only do bouncing ball. <laughs> it's like there's no well, in between. They do. they do because because the one girl you know designs the robot and then the other girl is trying to figure out the coolest way to make the robot move. You just get like a really rubbery robot, just like just bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> now, the the bigger tension is with Kanamori, who's the uh, the producer, basically. So she's the one the who's ordering asshole. them around and telling yeah. them like, "You don't have time to do that. You have to make it simpler." <laughs> <laughs> she's great. She's she's the one you probably see the most like stuff about, you know, the most like memes and things because she's just she has this great face with like a like an underbite or something where she just is constantly grimacing. I've seen her. She kind of reminds me of, um, uh, and yet the town moves. Uh, what's her name? Oh my God. I didn't think, Oh my God. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You're yeah, right. Yeah. It's the, yeah. I thought uh, like, the I thought that, that club girl from, from, and yet the town moves. I thought that manga was like getting popular again when I first started seeing like screenshots of, <laughs> of oh. uh, Azokin. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think of that. I love, and yet the town moves. It was on, on our uh, top 10 manga of the decade list. Yeah. Yeah. It's the girl who's in like the ping pong club or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 She's also kind of like, does that a kind of grimace face similarly. I don't remember. Wow. She was a gruff asshole in that one though. I think she's, uh, uh, it's been a little bit. I think her thing is she's kind of arrogant. Isn't, isn't that it? Was it? She's like very full of herself. I almost thought that she was like kind of in a position to like put, uh, put everybody in their place. Mm. <laughs> Which sounds like Kanamori. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I think, you know, for me, I, I usually need a little more driving plot line, you know, to kind of keep me excited about something but every episode i i've really enjoyed it and just seeing how they dig into the creative process i will say that this is like you know my my ongoing like minor hot take feud with uh, a show that i watched i don't remember how much if any you watched of it but 
the obvious comparison here is with Shirobako, and I think that this show comes out uh, much better in that comparison than Shirobako does. Yeah, Shirobako is a show that I finished, but I didn't really, I didn't really retain too much from it, other than just kind of being put off by the sense that it was very positive about everything. Yep. Yeah, like Shirobako, I appreciate a lot of things about it in the way that it, you know, shows the anime industry. But the key difference that I would say about these two shows is Shirobako is about the anime industry and Eizouken is about animation. And that sounds very subtle, but it's actually like a pretty big difference. Ooh, yeah. Because right. Shirobako is like, gosh, isn't it so cool to make anime which has this element that i think bothered you it bothered me a little bit too of yeah. being like isn't it so cool to work at an anime company oh right not and according like, to everything i read about working at right. anime <laughs> whereas azokan is much more about and actually has great scenes where uh misasaki i think her name is the animator character like actually just solilo- gives these soliloquies about like how much she loves creating motion with animation like it's about that it's about being an artist not about getting a job working at a company making anime. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's just, that's a, there's just, just like, I, I appreciate at least the more focus on art, on the artistry behind it, even, even if it is a Yuasa joint, which means I'm probably not going to watch it <laughs> voluntarily. Yeah. I mean, Shirobako has a lot of artist characters who talk about that, but ultimately its focus is on like the production side. Oh yeah, and there's like right. hundreds of characters in that show. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's 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 on the when I say the production side, I mean on like the production assistants, right? Like the people, mm-hmm. the people who whose job is like to basically manage all the artists, and I think that focus is very different. Well, that's the protagonist, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's just a very different focus because for that person, I think you know a lot of those people are probably pretty passionate about anime, but they're not the creative staff. They are they're they the people the who are get, you know greasing the wheels, getting the work done. Uh, yeah. But it's just a, it's a different thing, right? I mean, that's a person who I would expect to be more passionate about like anime in general as opposed to passionate about like the individual work of drawing a picture, right? I think Azokin comes out better in that comparison. Uh, the the one weird thing about it, though, is that it's it still is basically in some in in a certain sense, it's still talking about the anime industry because the characters don't operate like they're in a high school club. They kind of operate like they're at an anime studio with all of the clubs and people in their school mapped into positions that they would have in the anime industry. That part is strange. I kind of expected more of like a DIY kids oh, yeah. making anime thing. But there's a lot of things where it's like, they're making some animation for another club and it's framed as like the other club is the client hiring the studio, right? And and the, right. They, they operate in like a weird studio way that doesn't exactly feel like teenagers making anime for fun. Right, because yeah, like back in my day when I took an animation film class, like it, what it was mostly, it was mostly just me and my friends dicking around in... Uh, what was it? What, what did we have then? Adobe Flash? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm fine with the characters being a little more talented than them being high schoolers would lead you to believe, right? That's fine. That's stretching the truth a little bit, but like to make it more interesting. Uh, it just sometimes feels a little too professionalized, right? And I kind of was, when I went into it, I was hoping it was going to be more amateur in terms of just the way that they run stuff. Anyway, cool show. Very Evancore. And that's it for the queue. So it's time to move on to our review for the episode, which uh, 
which is kind of Evancore, but is... Yeah, true. I'll pass this over to David. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be talking about it. So I only recently finished Legend of Zelda, A Link Between Worlds, released for the Nintendo 3DS back in 2013. I've been waiting a very long time to just come out and say, hey, I finished this game. Yeah, and now that we're out of the decade, time for David we're, to finish one of the... Let's see. One of the pretty good games of the decade. Since this game had come out, we're basically, we're done with the Nintendo 3DS. Um, Breath of the Wild came out. Breath of the Wild 2 was announced. Um, they remade Link's Awakening for Nintendo Switch. Um, many, many, many things have happened since the day that this game had come out and the day that I get on this podcast to talk about it. So... Uh, a Link Between Worlds is a direct sequel to a game that I didn't actually enjoy too much, A Link to the Past, released for the Super Nintendo. I don't know if I knew that you didn't enjoy A Link to the Past. I don't like it. I do not like what is your Link favorite to the Past. top-down Zelda game? My favorite top-down Zelda game is Oracle of Seasons. Ooh, the Oracle games are pretty good. They're really about great. Those. We were talking before the show about uh, handheld Zeldas. I forgot about the Oracle games. Yeah, the, those Oracle games are very underrated. Um, I was I was definitely pretty into them. That was they did like a Pokemon thing with them, right? Where they released two different games. They had Oracle of Ages and Seasons. Yeah, and you know, unlike Pokemon, they actually got off their ass to design two different games. <laughs> <laughs> don't they have a? Don't they have some kind of? shared ending or something there's some kind of ending that you only get from both games yeah because once you beat one of the games they give you a code to put into mm. the second game so you play one and then you beat that you put the code into the second one and then you're on track to get the true ending of it which i think is an extra dungeon and another boss fight mm -hmm. um that's a really good game that should be maybe remade <laughs> Oh, I don't know. oh man, yeah. I'd be excited about a remake of the Oracle games. But let's get back on track. A Link Between Worlds. Link Between Worlds, which is not a remake, not a reimagining. A, apparently, you said a direct sequel. And it's then, a direct sequel. In Japan, it was released as Triforce of the Gods 2. And Triforce of the Gods is the Japanese title of A Link to the Past. Which is pretty much, no matter how you cut it, one game and then it's sequel. <laughs> the Zelda yeah. timeline, it just makes no sense. The plot is kind of irrelevant as well, isn't it? At this point, like, why, why do we play Zelda games? It's definitely not for the plot. It's definitely not for that amazing Zelda dialogue that you can only get and just the vast amounts of lore that you can just pick up <laughs> any item and then read like a page of like just text related wow, to it. Wow, a bow. I wonder what the backstory of this bow is. No, no, oh, well, we're yeah. not playing Zelda for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, A Link Between Worlds is, you know, it, it kind of goes back to basics with some surprises. It's a, again, it's a top-down classic Zelda action-adventure RPG game with 3D graphics, not 2D. Uh, just got to put that out there because I think uh, for the 3DS, like a lot of games that would have made sense in 2D were done in 3D because they wanted to take advantage of the... 3D effect that you could put on the 3DS. Remember when the 3DSs were 3D and then they just decided, hey, actually, we were going to just make the 2DS? Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> just gave up. They gave not up. A they gave idea, up. Yeah, the 3D thing. I mean, it was cool that they managed to do it without glasses, but it was not really useful for anything. Not very useful. Killed the battery that much faster. The original battery life of the 3DS was like four hours. And yeah, it hurt your eyes too. Um, Link Between Worlds came out in 2013, which was like, 
I was like looking this up, and 2013 was probably the best year for that console because that had what like oh a new God. Pokemon, so many games. Fire Emblem, mm-hmm. Animal Crossing. Just, I mean, just those games alone, it's like your year is made. I think that's actually very similar to this year uh, on the Switch because you got. Well, I mean, you got a Fire Emblem DLC. You got a new Animal Crossing. I'm imagining Breath of the Wild 2 could potentially be uh, an end-of-year release. No maybe. way. I could imagine it. I could imagine it. So since uh, we're talking that it's a length of the past sequel, Ganon's not around because you've already defeated Ganon. <laughs> Instead, you get another generic evil guy who is pretty much a Ganon, but also like one of those evil wizards that's looking to resurrect Ganon, just kind of mushed together. They love to do that. Yeah. So this guy, Yuga, a very shifty looking guy who arrives, you know, he puts, uh, he puts like a, one of those sages that's protecting, you know, the stability of the world and the Triforce and everything, you know, it's like, uh, it, you know, Zelda lore is just so irrelevant. <laughs> Um, but anyway, he comes in, he messes some things up. Now the fate of the whole world is in the hands of the son of a blacksmith who was just happened to be in the area to deliver a sword, which is like, I'm thinking like, is this like a direct sequel in which this is the same link or is this a different link? I'm assuming this is a different link because they treat, they just treat this link like crap. <laughs> they just have him like running some, some errands, it's probably not even getting paid to to go do this but anyway now you're the, the hero you're essentially link the, the uh you know the legendary hero and triforce of you know courage and all that gameplay f- the f- gameplay follows the original scenario of link the past very closely so you have your three dungeon little thing going on where you just got to you know, collect an item. There's a whole dungeon. There's a boss, and then everything just kind of blows wide open after you do that. Because now you get introduced to low rule, which is this game's version of the dark world. So funny, love it. Yeah, I love I love low rule, and I, I was kind of like crapping on the on the writing and just the story of Zelda. But it's just it's got little bits like that which are just clever and just not in your face enough to get annoying. It's just like it's just you know we got a high rule and we're gonna have obviously a low rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in low when rule, they like, go low rule, we go high rule. Oh. Uh, I was waiting for I was waiting for Evan to just drop a, a, a politics into into the AGP today. Look, I was uh, not doing it to do any actual politics commentary. It was just a good opportunity for a pun. It was, it was. <laughs> you know, when, when it's Nintendo games, you can just rely on at least one decent pun. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it has the it has low rule, which is the equivalent of the dark world. But I don't. Mm-hmm. I actually don't remember a lot of like. There's bits and pieces of this that I remember very well, and there's parts that I don't remember as well. Like I don't actually remember what low rule is like when you go into it. It's pretty much just the dark world. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh well low rule uh looks like crap because the if you think about it as like a parallel world, there high rule is only the way it is because the triforce is present and in balance and Ganon's not around to mess things up. Low rule is just the opposite of that where their triforce is essentially gone. So, you know, dark forces come in and invade and just make a mess of everything. Um Low rule is a lot of fun. The dark rule, the dark world, uh, dark the dark world in uh, a link to the past was not fun like at all. <laughs> Is it just it just felt like it just felt like work to get anywhere, 
And with the way that they did the warping between this, what this game's equivalent of light and dark world, they um, they did away with the magic mirror, which was super annoying. And instead, Link becomes Paper Mario, Paper Link. This part's cool. Yeah. This part's really great. I love this part. So after the third dungeon, you are turned into a painting. And you can kind of like exit your painting, and then now you're just flat Link. Um, and that's when the whole top-down thing just gets kind of weird because the camera angle actually changes. And that's why this game is only possible with 3D graphics. Because now your perspective is different. Now you're no longer just looking down. You're kind of like looking at Link as he's like climbing along the walls. Yeah, just, I, this just like is flying the, around. one of the things that made this game so clever is that it, it's a, it's a top-down game that actually like changes the perspective and lets you play mm-hmm. in this like completely different, uh, yeah, this whole different angle on the same space. And you know, with the with the paper, with the paper, like the painting thing does for you is that it really, I don't, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a missed opportunity, I think, with a lot of these Zelda games when they don't have a lot of like the you know the. Um, they, they work with like the different heights of their stages mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you get so much of that with this. That, yeah. Like, oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause like of the things I remember from this game, the verticality of the dungeons is one of the main things. It's so good. There's this one sequence where you're essentially in like a mine and there's just lava everywhere and there are all those platforms, but because you're staring down top down, you can see like little tiny platforms moving around at the bottom and you can just, you're also working with like putting, making yourself flat along the wall so that you don't get pushed off because the platforms are always moving. Just like they're just floating around in this thing, and you just gotta maneuver yourself so that you lower yourself all the way down. And it's like you get a really, really great sense of the depth of this stage, and that's just one bit. Mm-hmm. And like the game has so many just situations which it uses its gimmicks really well and that's like that's probably one of my like just my favorite parts is like the dungeons work really well with pretty much all the items that you can get and it's always just like about the movement and the puzzles aren't like i never really got stuck in the game it's pretty easy i remember it being very easy oh yeah i mean that's that's not a part that i love about it like it's just it's it's a little bit too easy like too easy for its own good I think part of why it's so easy, as I remember it, and you're you have it fresher on your mind, mm-hmm. is because it does the thing where, which is kind of not revolutionary, but revolution revolutionary for a new Zelda game where you don't need you don't need to go through the dungeons in a specific order, right? And isn't it basically mm-hmm. set up so that you can kind of like get through mo- the you can get through a lot of the dungeons or all of the dungeons like without a lot of the items? Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't have. Or, or you only need one item. It was something like that, uh, where you didn't need to, you know, solve these complex puzzles that required like every single item in like right. a late stage dungeon. Everything is kind of it's almost like every dungeon's difficulty felt like it's the first dungeon, because any <laughs> every dungeon can be the first dungeon because you can do them out of order. Yeah, I think some dungeons were just more obvious to be the first dungeon than others because like there's one. There's like the one dungeon where it's a maze in darkness and there's a stealth element to it because you're you're just kind of trying to avoid the line of sight of these other enemies. I'm not sure if they can just like put you in jail or kick you out, but it kind of felt constructed in a way where you've got to maneuver around and just avoid enemies to get to the actual entrance of the dungeon. That was just that was a whole lead up to actually getting to the dungeon. And that didn't really feel like 
oh well, this is your starter dungeon. Your starter dungeon mm-hmm. made would made more sense. Like upon upon arriving at low rule, it's like okay, now I got to find out what I got to do in low rule. And I think that one's just like kind of out of the way. But with the items, your items I think are kind of in the style of Breath of the Wild, where they're just given to you right at the beginning. They're not given to you, but they're presented to you, and you have to buy them from <laughs> from a guy that just. He just decides he lives in your house now. <laughs> it is uh, the capitalism Zelda game. It's the capitalism Zelda game because you can, I mean, you can buy them and they cost thousands of rupees each. And you're probably not going to have thousands of rupees at that point in the game. Or you could rent them out for, you know, 100 rupees. Uh, the problem with renting them is because you don't own anything. So when you die, uh, <laughs> the guy comes to just, you know, loot your corpse. And then when you <laughs> resurrect, you got to buy them all over again. <laughs> again, not so much of a problem because the game's easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you eventually do just get thousands and thousands of rupees. So it's very, it's very easy to just get a lot of rupees when you've played long enough. And again, you don't really need all the items either. It's just some dungeons need some items more than others. Some some items do become more useful than than most. I don't yeah I don't even remember using all of them. There's just like there's just like some weird stuff in mm-hmm. there that didn't really feel as important to getting me to move around. Um, they had a um, they had one of those items that like sends you up. It's kind of like the Deku flower, but it's an item. But you couldn't actually move forward with it, if mm. I'm remembering correctly. You just like you just float up in place and then you land right back down. And I'm not sure where that would be useful. Well, it's fun, right? Isn't that the only thing that matters? You yeah, had fun. it's fun. You went it's, up, you went yeah. down, you went back to what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, not as useful as a hook shot. If I'm if I'm being completely honest with you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's super easy, but it still took me seven years. Right? Just because you know that's that's the way that we are. We we play a game for <laughs> three, four dungeons. Uh, and then a half dozen Pokemon games later, uh, you decide like, Hey, I never actually finished this. Uh, and I'm really just looking forward to just packing away my 3ds forever and never touching it again. This is not a, it's not a comfy system to play on. (laughs) So something really cool about this game kind of in historical context. And uh, I, I had one of these things I was going to mention, but the second one occurred to me while you were talking is that I feel like it, uh, it, it kind of paved the way for two very good games on the switch. The first you already mentioned, which is breath of the wild, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a game where you can do the dungeons in any order, which was kind of heralded at the time of breath of breath of the wild as being like whoa this is revolutionary but it, it was they already experimented with it on a link between worlds it's also not mm-hmm. like the first time because they said for breath of the wild that it was inspired by the original zelda where you can also do the dungeons in any order yeah so i think it's kind of interesting that this game like tested the waters for that and and it does in some ways feel like breath of the wild is a, a bit of a better execution of that it like it, it's more challenging Right. Like this had the problem of kind of the balancing problem where they they have to be too easy to achieve the ability to do them in any order. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas Breath of the Wild, I I felt, you know, Breath of the Wild is is relatively difficult early on. So there's actually a kind of gating uh, mechanism where it feels like 
you you wouldn't necessarily just go do you can't do whatever you want at the beginning of the game you actually have to kind of work at it right the second one though is not a zelda game uh I, it didn't occur to me till you mentioned it but the painting mechanic where you you turn into a painting on the wall is very very similar to what uh ended up being incorporated into super mario odyssey oh yeah i i have to imagine they they got the idea from a link between worlds or maybe they both got the idea from some other game but i i can't think of what that would be right it's the same kind of thing like in in mario odyssey that you have these great levels where you go into a pipe and then mario is on the wall and you're doing 2d mario like like 8-bit platformer levels on the wall and you also like can switch from one wall to another very hard to describe in with just audio you can like go around (laughs) a corner and be on another wall yeah yeah i mean that was another game that you know it did it did good for what it was supposed to be but i feel like link between worlds execution of it was really good and you know now that we're talking about it i think maybe underappreciated a link between worlds is underappreciated you think i know maybe Maybe just because of the level of praise that went into like Odyssey and Breath of the Wild, where it's like, oh, these are the best entries in their respective franchises. I'm like, yeah, that's that's pretty dramatic of you to be saying. Uh, I think that's that's uh, I wouldn't fight somebody for saying that about those two games. Those are very, very good games. (laughs) Oh, no. Haven't you one of those guys? (laughs) No, I don't agree that they're the best in there. Well, Odyssey might be the best Mario game that I've played. But uh, but. Breath of the Wild is not my favorite Zelda game, but that is a strong choice for best Zelda game ever. So I would not fight someone who claimed that. No, I'm, I'm just I'm going to go out there and say it's probably a recency bias. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I'm not here to argue about Breath of the Wild, but it's good. Obviously, we both like Breath of the Wild. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I definitely think A Link Between Worlds it was trying some stuff in a way that I think, yeah, maybe it doesn't get enough credit for, right? That it, like, even before, you know, what is it, 2017, where Nintendo really went all out and did this, like, experimental, really interesting stuff with Mario and Zelda. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a, yeah, this was a time when they they tried some some pretty interesting things with a Zelda game that, you know, maybe, I mean, this got, this got attention when it came out. This is definitely not forgotten, yeah. but, you know... It, it it was a handheld top-down Zelda, so not quite the same splash that you get from doing that with like a big, you know, 3D main console Zelda. Right. And, you know, I think you weren't here to argue with me about Mario before, but I think what you're here to argue with me about is like earlier I was saying, <laughs> I was wondering whether or not Link Between Worlds is going to be like the last of those handheld Zelda mm. games that as we know them, you know, like a Minish Cap or... Like uh, like the Oracles games or like a Link's Awakening, because now that the Switch is Nintendo's main thing, um, it just seems like they would only want to do Breath of the Wild games, which is like fast, expansive experiences that are just endless. You know, they're not going to do. I get the feeling that they may not find a space to do something like Link Between Worlds, which is like designed to be. F- constrained into its own limits but make sure that those limits are very enjoyable for people while they experience them uh i don't agree that that's a risk i would say i i think we're probably still going to get games like that but also just to be clear when you say like handheld zelda games like this is the last handheld zelda game are you you're not just talking about the form factor right because i mean in a sense breath of the wild is a handheld zelda game right 
I would like, just talk. I was talking more of like just kind of the this expected scope of uh, of right. those kind of games. You're talking about the fact that Zelda games basically had a split. Yeah, after there was an unconscious Ocarina split. of Time or something. When did this split? I guess Ocarina of Time when it's when the cons the home console games switched over to 3D. Yeah, and then basically the retro style top down 2D Zelda games were handheld only after that. They, point. they were relegated just to handhelds because afterwards yeah. they only did Wind Waker or Twilight Princess or Skyward Sword, and all those games follow the same sort of blueprint left by Ocarina of Time, where it's like this is a 3D action game mm -hmm. now. Right. So, in that sense, like what you're really saying is, is will there be another? A, like original non remake top down Zelda game. Will there be? I think yeah. I mean, the, they wouldn't be remaking Link's Awakening if they didn't think that that kind of thing still had that there were still people interested in it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, uh, and even I think that like uh, Cadence of Hyrule is a good sign, right? That's that's styled after a traditional top down Zelda game, right? But I felt it was more like a spin off than. I'm just saying it. It's. It's not they're not completely jettisoning the the old style of Zelda game, right? The, the right. top down 2D. I think the other thing is just that the Switch is so popular and it is basically a, a re-merging of the home and the handheld consoles, mm -hmm. right? So it would make a lot of sense to me if Nintendo like I almost that this like strengthens the case for having those top down games and to have like two different branches of the Zelda franchise existing on the same hyper popular console, right? Now they can release a smaller scale 2D Zelda game and they can release Breath of the Wild 2 and they can put them both on the console that everybody already owns. Yeah, like that would be ideal. But then, you know, it's not really super, super relevant. But then I see the way that they run their uh, like their NES switch online thing or their super nintendo online and the amount of attention that goes into that isn't as much as like when they were doing even when they were doing with the wii virtual console which also wasn't super that wasn't perfect either <laughs> but um it felt more vital to nintendo to preserve this legacy like you know this heritage of you know mm. these are the games that put us where we are and we want to make sure that this console that we're we're backing right now represents that sort of the, you know those sorts of designs that we had before for these games you know to kind of just give them in a sense like equal uh equal attention like yeah we're, we'll do the 3d zelda games but also we're, we have all of our 2d zeldas readily available for everybody and Nintendo Switches, <laughs> the Switches retro stuff is just kind of like an afterthought. So, you know, oh, seeing man. the way that I look Dude, at it. That's just getting me thinking about like how cool it would be if, yeah, if, you know, the, I think they're thinking of doing like a Nintendo 64 collection or a Nintendo 64 mm. classic or something. I'm just thinking like, how cool would it be to have every Zelda game ever on the Switch? Yeah. Or, or at least like every Zelda game up to a point, right? Maybe not. Yeah, every single one. But like, if you could play, you I, currently you can play Zelda one, two, and Link to the Past on mm -hmm. the NES and Super Nintendo. Uh, but yeah, like having uh, the original Link's Awakening would be nice, right? Having like the Game having, Boy games, having the having the N sixty four ones. Yeah, N sixty four ones would be great. Uh, I would love to just play Majora's Mask again. <laughs> 
it would just be a huge benefit to have those N64 Zelda games available on a console that can output video on HDMI. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It won't yeah. look beautiful, but it will look a lot better than me trying to convert the <laughs> the old N64 cables into, you know, like a box that connects to HDMI and then connects to the TV and then the whole signal is just a washed out mess. This reminds me I I have an unopened copy that I bought off of I think I bought it off of Victoria of the 3DS Ocarina of Time. I've not played that like the the remaster of it. Damn, I didn't even I didn't even talk about the uh the other 3DS Zelda games which I felt were very that I felt like that would have been worth mentioning because that Ocarina of Time 3D uh for the 3DS was a very faithful port to mm-hmm. for the to, uh, to the N64 version. Uh, and then Majora's Mask is like weirdly a reworked port of that mm-hmm. game. Yeah, I, I did buy and played through most of the Majora's Mask one, but then I never actually didn't finish that replay of it. Um, I think it was because I was embarrassing. It's because I, I was writing a column for anti gamers. Some people old anti gamers fans might remember I was I was doing like a short lived column about it, but I fell behind. And then I was like, well, I don't want to get too far in the game. Because I'm behind <laughs> on the column, and then I forgot to get back to the game and finish it, and didn't finish uh, the column. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's that's like my favorite top. game of all time, though. Majora's Mask. Yeah. So yeah, it's I should like, go do a full replay of that at some point. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some Patreon content. It's gonna be like top six Evan Minto fails on uh, on any gamers. <laughs> just six? Wow. Yeah, just six. All right, David. What are your final thoughts on? Link Between Worlds. Definitely play it, but don't be me and buy that cartridge for $10 on eBay because when I got it, it was super scratched up and it wouldn't even read on my 3DS. Ooh. So I had to I had to do a whole thing. I had to like buy uh, some like 92% isopropyl alcohol, soak it, you know, like get really scrubbed out. It was super dirty. I don't know why. How do you get like a 3DS game just like that dirty? Well, maybe someone tried to eat it and this is before they sprayed all the cartridges with the thing. Oh, yeah. Got to, you know, shouts to whoever had the idea to just spray down their cartridges with something that doesn't even taste that bad. I I put the full uh, Pokemon Sword cartridge in my mouth when I got it. <laughs> it don't it didn't say taste like anything. Don't describe the thing that they put on it as something that doesn't even taste that bad in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> don't out yourself like that. It's late enough in the podcast. Nobody's listening. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I have not played this recently, but I remember it being quite good. So I, I think I distinctly remember I played it like too late. After like I played it the next year, but I in retrospect I was like, oh, if I had played that the year it came out, that would have been in my staff picks as like one of my top three games of the year. So, ah, I could have had yeah. some fodder for for the old AG. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at us now. We're in 2020 and we're we're bringing it back. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's never too it's never too late with us to talk about things that you think are relevant because they are not irrelevant. They are very important and special to us. <laughs> Nicely put. Yes. Uh, we do not have any questions or responses this episode. Uh, I just kind of didn't do the call for questions this time. But a reminder for both patrons and non-patrons alike is uh, you can always send us questions about anything, not just you know the subject of the show. Uh, you can email us at podcast at com for that. Or if you're a patron, we've got a mega thread on the Patreon that you can go post your questions in. And uh, if you are a $5 
plus patron, you get priority. So anytime you want, any question you have, regardless of if it's relevant to something we're talking about, and we'll try to answer. So that's it for this episode. Before we head out, David and I are writing for Otaku USA magazine. I uh, still, I haven't really updated animeburgertime.tumblr.com, but Anime Burger Time should be coming soon to some conventions near you. And David is streaming video games every Saturday night at twitch.tv slash uusmallbean. What are you playing? We're playing Persona 3 Portable. And as I mentioned a couple times this episode, we have a Patreon. You can support us at patreon.com slash anygamers to get into the priority question list and access bonus articles and podcasts. Both of those are at the $5 level. We've also got a $1 level where you will uh, get a thank you from us on the show, which I'm about to do in a little bit, as well as uh, you'll get listed in the special thanks on the website. And we'll do some, uh, we do some polls we haven't started that yet, but we're going to start polling subscribers for stuff that we'll we'll talk about on air. And uh, yeah, the $5 subscribers get that as well. And with that, let's do our thank yous for this episode. So we've got three new subscribers in the past month. Let's uh, take turns reading the names, David. Uh, first up, Tiffany, friend of the show. Thank you so much, David. Big, big shout outs to Elizabeth. And uh, third is... Thomas, another friend of the show. Thank you all of you for all of your support. Every dollar that people give counts, uh, helps us uh, keep the site going, pay for the hosting. And uh, we're working on, uh, you know, we're getting to a point where we can like actually compensate <laughs> our staff for things. Oh, man. None of us have made any money off of this for our entire <laughs> time doing it. So uh, it's a passion project. Yeah. You can check out show notes, blog posts, and a link to the official AnnieGamers Discord on AnnieGamers.com. Email us questions, responses, and topic suggestions, as I mentioned before, at podcast at anygamers.com. Or talk to us on Twitter. I'm at sign Vamptvo, V-A-M-P-T-V-O. David is at sign QX20XX. And Anygamers, at sign Anygamers, one word. We're on Mastodon at Vamptvo at mastodon.social and 20XX at caro.ccsakura.jp. And finally, episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, and Spotify. And we could always use some more reviews on iTunes to help more people find the show. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you all again in about two weeks. Later. Do-do-do-do.